Well, thank you, Paul, for that ministry. Good morning, everyone. I always enjoy baptism weekends in part. I just love to hear the stories of people and hear about their faith in Christ and their journey of how they've come to Christ. I also enjoy baptism weekends, especially on Grey Cup weekends, because I got to come here and preach tonight while the Grey Cup is going on. And I know that at least 11 people will be here because we've got 11 people being baptized tonight. So I really love that. You bet. So I want to begin by asking you, have you ever wondered why God has left you here and not taken you to heaven yet? Well, if you would not consider yourself to be a Christ follower, uh, then the reason that you're still here is because God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you to have a relationship with him. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he, referring to God, is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves you. He created you. And like any loving father, he wants to have a vibrant friendship with you, and he's been pursuing you. He has been trying to get your attention. My question of you is, have you been listening? Have you even been open to him? Have you been asking him to reveal himself to you? The Bible says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. In other words, who you will give your life to. In other words, don't presume on the grace of God and leave making this most important decision in life on the back burner of your life, because this may be your final day on this planet. There are no guarantees. And so some of us are still here on earth because God's pa patiently pursuing us to come in right relationship with him. On the other hand, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're still here because God wants us to be his representatives here on earth. He wants us to point people to the reality of God in our lives through our walk and through our talk. We've just finished studying the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and even though no person outside of Jesus is capable of living out the Beatitudes perfectly, Jesus taught that when his followers increasingly display these supernatural evidences of the Spirit-filled life and the Spirit living in them, they will be people of influence. They will be people who point others to the reality of God and to the truth of God. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Notice he didn't say you should be the salt of the earth or you better be the light of the world. No, he said, when you surrender your life to me and you pursue me with all of your heart and you allow me to live the beatitude life through you, 
You will be the salt of the earth. You will be the light of the world. You can't help it. You will be a person that God will use to influence the spiritual life of other people. Now, church, this is why we are here and not in heaven. I don't understand the ways of God. I don't understand why he calls some people home so early in their life and why at other times he waits so long to call others home. But I do know this, we are not going home as long as he has a purpose to fulfill in us or through us. Many years ago, my doctor told me that from a medical perspective, from a statistical point of view, my time on earth was relatively short. And I would be lying if I said there weren't moments when I was overcome with fear and, and feelings of hopelessness. But then in a very intimate moment with my heavenly father, I heard him say, Henry, you are not coming home one moment before I say you are coming home. And that very simple statement God used to remind me of his calling in my life, of my salt and my light function, that he assured me that there were still things he wanted to do in and through me, and that I wasn't coming home one moment until those purposes were accomplished. And folks, that was over 30 years ago, and I shudder to think of all of the incredible adventures with Jesus I would have missed if I had caved into those fears. If I had let Satan convince me that I was done, that it was over, and stopped following God's call in my life, I have no idea of how many more days God has ordained for me. But this I do know. I won't be going home until his purposes that he has ordained for me have been fulfilled. And church, it's no different for any of you. Some of you are facing health issues. Some of you are fighting feelings of fear and despair. Something, some of you feel like you have nothing to offer God anymore. You know, when it comes to health issues, I've been there, and I know those feelings are real, and I don't want to minimize them at all, but I want to encourage you not to cave in to Satan's attempts to discourage you and to defeat you and to pack it in, regardless of what you may be facing. No, don't spend your time obsessing about the day that you will die. That day is established. You cannot stop its approach. Rather, focus on living all out for Jesus now. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You are still alive for a reason, my friend. My question is, are you being the salt and the light God's called you to be? You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, with all of your talents and your giftedness, your personality, and yes, with all of your fears and insecurities and hang-ups, you're the salt of the earth the light of the world. In the time remaining, I want to take a closer look 
at our salt function as Christians. Now, in our day, salt is in abundance, and so while we recognize we need to consume a certain amount of salt we, in order to maintain our health, salt does not have a high value in our culture. However, in the ancient world, salt was valued almost on par with precious metals, second only to metals like gold. In ancient China, salt was second to gold in value. The Romans believed that there was nothing more valuable than sun and salt. They used salt as a currency, paying their soldiers in salt. Can you imagine working a couple of weeks and then getting a 10-pound bag of salt for your wages? The Greeks called salt divine. Salt has many benefits. In fact, one author that I consulted, he lists over 17 uses for salt. The question is, what did Jesus specifically mean when he called us, his followers, salt? Well, the short answer is, we don't know. We really don't know exactly what he meant. We don't know how he was using the word. However, it's highly likely that he had one, if not all, of the following qualities of salt in mind. To begin with, salt prevents decay. There were no refrigerators. There were no deep freezes in that day. Tropical climate. And so salt was used to keep things, particularly meat, from rotting, from going bad. And so when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, it is highly likely one of the things he had in mind is that in the same way that salt preserves food from decaying, so you, my followers, will seek to preserve, in the words of Philippians 4.8, whatever is true. You will seek to preserve whatever is noble and honorable. Whatever is right and just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and beautiful, you will seek to preserve whatever is admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Have you ever thought about how different your life would be were it not for the influence of godly people who were salt and light in your life? Perhaps they were your parents, or maybe your grandparents, or a pastor, a small group leader, a teacher, a coach, a working associate, a friend. People whose lives were so attractive and admirable and moral, you wanted to be like them. Aren't you grateful to God for them? Aren't you grateful for those people that God put in your life that when they intersected your life, they had a huge influence in the trajectory your life took. Aren't you grateful that these people who impacted you so profoundly didn't choose somewhere along the way to walk away from their salt and their light function? Have you thanked them for the way they influenced and impacted your life? Or have you ever thought about how corrupt and how chaotic 
and hopeless our whole way of life would be, even here in North America. If men and women hadn't allowed God to use their saltiness to bring a little heaven to earth, by initiating things like the formation of schools and colleges and universities for the education of people, the development of orphanages and hospitals and relief agencies, the abolition of slavery, the end of child labor, the development of basic women's rights. Today, a growing number of Christians are the hands and the feet of Jesus as they seek to address injustices related to poverty, the sex trade industry, the rights of the unborn, and many other such issues that break the heart of Jesus. Salt prevents decay. As you look at your life, as I look at my life, how are we seeking to prevent decay? Through our prayer life, through our investment of our money, our investment of our direct involvement. Parents, how is the example of our lives, our heart for God, our prayer life, our service for God, our generosity? Or how is our language around home, our television habits, our, the movies that we watch, how is that impacting the character and the convictions and the spiritual passion of our children? Young people, how much are you prepared to let others know that you're a Christ follower? To stand up for what is right and true, even if it means you may not fit in or be included by some. Salt prevents decay. It also enhances flavor. William Barclay says that Christianity is to life what salt is to food. The tragedy is so often we Christians are precisely the opposite. We walk around with this somber attitude and whine, gloom, despair, and agony on me. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen that I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Yikes. Sheldon von Aachen in his book Severe Mercy says the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their peace, their completeness. And then he went on to say that the strongest argument against Christianity is Christians who are somber and joyless. It's a sobering question, but we need to ask ourselves this from time to time. Is it possible that there are people at work, at school, in my neighborhood, in my family, who simply have no interest in Jesus because they've been watching us? 
And they just come to the conclusion, said to themselves, man, there's got to be a better way to live than that. All right, that's a bit convicting. We better move on. Salt prevents decay. It enhances flavor. Salt also creates thirst. Have you ever noticed that it's hard to eat just one chip? <laughs> we all struggle with that, don't we? Because the salt in the chip creates this desire for more. In fact, I'm told that they serve pretzels and peanuts in bars so that you'll drink more. That's what I'm told. Can anybody verify that? In the same way that salt creates a thirst for more, so the life of a true Christian can create a thirst in others to have what they have. You know, as I said earlier, I love to witness people being baptized, not only because it's such an encouragement to my faith, to hear them voice their love and their faith in Jesus Christ, but also because it's such a blessing to hear their story of how they came to faith in Jesus. And to hear them say over and over again, I hear this theme again and again, they say something like, there was this neighbor, or there was this girl in my class, or there, there was this fellow at work whose countenance, whose character, whose attitude in life, whose humility, whose servant heart captivated my attention, created this thirst in me to want to know what he had that I didn't have. How I love to hear stories like that. Friends, when was the last time Someone said to you, you know, you seem so distinctly different in a good way from everyone else I know. Everyone else I know is so full of themselves. They're so preoccupied with having more, with getting more, with, with, with being served, while you just seem so much the opposite of that. What is it that makes you tick? Salt creates thirst. Finally, salt influences healing when it's pure. In Ezekiel 16.4, we read that newborn babies were rubbed with salt for its cleansing and its healing properties. In the same way, when Jesus says we're the salt of the earth, he's saying our lives will influence spiritual healing in others as long as we remain salty or pure in heart. Look again at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Notice that Jesus' primary concern is that we remain salty, that we not lose our saltiness, that we live our lives with the daily awareness that he is in us and he wants to impact the lives of others through us. And we see this theme emphasized 
In various places in the scriptures, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is about to ascend from earth to be with his Father. And he turns to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be. There we go again. He just says, you will be. He's not saying there we should be or we better be. He says, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, you will be salt and light. You will be people of influence. If you go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and notice this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to him. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Again, the Apostle Paul says here, To Christ's followers, you are God's ambassadors to the people in your sphere of influence. You're salt, you're light. Now make no mistake in this, Jesus isn't saying that we're responsible for people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We're not responsible for the decisions that people make or that the decisions people refuse to make. He's calling us to submit to him, to trust him in prayer, and to live and to act and to speak in such a way that the Holy Spirit of God has freedom to spiritually influence others through us. Jesus is calling us to remain salty, to be people of influence. The question is, how do we stay salty? We stay salty by being pure in heart. You know, John Stott points out that, strictly speaking, salt can never lose its saltiness or its potency. Sodium chloride apparently is a very stable chemical compound which is resistant to nearly every attack. However, it can become contaminated when you mix it with impurities. And once you do that, salt is worthless. It no longer has any use. So if we want to stay salty, if we want our influence to remain potent, we need to be pure in heart. Now, we talked about pure in heart a number of weeks ago. Pure means to be one thing. It means to be clean, uncontaminated, untainted, unpolluted, unalloyed. It means to be focused on one thing, to be about one pursuit and only one pursuit, and that is the pursuit of God. And this pursuit isn't just an outward act. It is real. It is genuine. It flows from the heart. Salty Christians stay salty because they're totally surrendered to God. In Romans 12, Paul says, 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. You know, I love the story of the pig and the chicken who were walking together and they passed a church that had a message on its billboard that said, please help us feed the poor on Tuesday evening. The chicken thought for a moment and then turned to the pig and said, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we provide the poor with a bacon and eggs breakfast? The pig looked over at the chicken and said, well, you know, that's easy for you to say because all that requires of you is a little contribution, whereas it requires total commitment from me. Salty Christians stay salty because they're totally committed, surrendered to the Lord. They're all in. Salty Christians do not come to God with divided loyalties. You know, that's what James meant when he, when he said, purify your hearts, you double-minded. The pure heart doesn't have a compartment for God and another compartment for your career, another compartment for family and friends, and yet another compartment for entertainment and recreation. No, God is at the center of all of them in the life of the salty Christian. Salty Christians just don't think about God and his agenda when they come to a service like this. No, the salty Christian invites Jesus daily to do her day with her. She's consciously aware of his presence all day. She listens to his whispers and his promptings. Furthermore, salty Christians stay salty because they seek to live authentic Christian lives. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about a man who worked for my father in his construction company. He was very vocal about his Christian faith, but he also regularly came late. He talked a lot more than he worked. He was not a very good worker. And it was during that time that I got into a conversation about spiritual things with one of my father's cabinet makers who didn't work on the same crew as this carpenter. But he had some limited exposure to him. And as we talked about spiritual things, at some point in the conversation, this cabinet maker just stopped and looked me in the eye and he says, tell me something, is, what's his name? Is he a Christian? And I, I said, yeah, I think so. And he says, you know what, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. Have you ever had that happen to you? You see, friends, we're living in a generation that is increasingly weary of words. They couldn't care less what we say. But they will listen to a person who lives a supernaturally different life, the beatitude life. People can argue with your ideas, but they, they can't argue with a well-lived life. Howard Hendricks says that salty people show people through their lives that there's a better way to live. He was speaking to a congregation once. He said, you know, we preachers, we could never have the kind of impact that you folks have because people know we're paid to be good. Yeah, that's a good point. You, on the other hand, he says, are good for nothing. 
And he says, you know, that's powerful, if you know what I mean. Finally, salty Christians stay salty because they spend time daily in the scriptures. Praying and reading, meditating on God's truth. Letting it renew their minds and to change their minds. They study the Bible with other believers and remind each other what's important, what's really going to matter in the end. Holding each other accountable to do what Jesus calls them to do. All this renews their mind, serves to align their mind with the mind of Jesus Christ. Again, in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Several weeks ago, I pointed out that we all on this planet belong to one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world. Here in Romans 12, Paul refers to the earthly kingdom, and he challenges us to not buy into its seductive lies. For you see, all around us, we are bombarded daily with messages from the earthly kingdom that entices us to look out for number one, to eat, drink, and to be merry. And the pattern of the earthly kingdom is mostly about rivalry and competition, about getting ahead of the other guy, about grabbing what's mine before someone else gets it, about hoarding money and things, and and living the good life, even if it means that others will be left hungry and go without. Paul says salty Christians insulate, not isolate, but they insulate themselves from getting stuck into that way of thinking. They renew their mind daily with the scriptures and other wholesome books and literature. They are sensitive and discerning of how the media seeks to get us to focus our interest on our interests and on our agendas and to give our lives to lesser things rather than to God's agenda for our lives and for this world. Salty Christians remain salty. They influence others for Jesus because they pursue one thing. This week I was talking to a young man who was really discouraged in his work environment. He said, you know, you work hard. You go beyond the call of duty. And then someone else takes credit for the work that you've done and gets the credit. You work overtime when called upon without complaining. You're committed and you're faithful. You do your, your utmost to be a person of integrity in the workplace. And in the end, someone else gets the promotion. Someone else gets the accolades. We talked about that a bit and then I asked him, who are you really working for? He said, what do you mean? I said, who are you really working for? You see, this is one of the kingdom questions, friends. Which kingdom are you really working for? Are you working for your boss, your earthly boss, for your business? Or are you working for the Lord? 
I said, have you ever thought about the fact that from God's perspective, the reason you are there is not about receiving accolades from your boss or being promoted, but rather Jesus put you there because you are the only salt and light in that place. Your boss's personal life is in turmoil, and you know it. Your working associate's marriage is hanging on by a thread. Most of the people in your workplace are far from God, and you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. I reminded him of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear friends, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that God and his word is trustworthy? You see, when you define success and fulfillment not according to what the earthly kingdom says, but according to what God's kingdom says, and you put your trust in Jesus, and you believe that he's your true boss, he's the one that you're serving, not your earthly boss, and you believe that you are there primarily not to get promoted, but you are there to be salt and light to the people around you. When you begin to embrace that, it will completely change how you see your work situation or your life situation and the disappointments that you face now and the disappointments you will face going forward. Friends, the reason people are losing their saltiness is because they are not devoting their lives to one main thing. They're devoting their lives to a myriad of things. They want to be used by God. They want to make eternal difference in the life of others, but they also want to experience the good life here on earth. The promotions, the, 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 the rewards of promotions. And Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You have to make a choice about which kingdom you belong to. And if you belong to the kingdom of God, then you have one Lord. You have one master. Do you trust him? Do you believe you'll never regret giving your life completely to him and living all out for him? Or do you have one foot in this kingdom and the other foot in that kingdom? Because if that's the case, Jesus said it ain't going to work for you. You're going to be one frustrated person. You can't serve two masters. Joshua said, choose for yourself this day whom you serve. Whom you're going to trust. Whom you're going to give your life to. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mark my words, friends, whatever you hold back, whatever you fail to give to him, be it your money, be it your relationship, be it time, be it your talent, whatever you refuse to give to him, that will be the source of your greatest discouragement, heartache, frustration, grief, and pain. 
But even more than that, it'll be the thing that robs you of your saltiness. On the other hand, when your heart, when your heart's passion and your desire to be pure, to do one thing, to pursue God and to live all out for him, to be the vessel that that he can use to impact others in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, people in your sphere of influence will be impacted by your example. You may not have a clue that they are being, but they, but you, they will be impacted by you. And they will be drawn to the Jesus that you know and love. And you will see God at work in the lives of many because of your saltiness. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? How salty are we? How much decay are we preventing? How much flavor are we adding to life? How much thirst in our life are we creating in others? How much is our life influencing others to embrace Jesus? Salty Christians remain salty because they're pure in heart. They do one thing, and that is to live all out for Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, I've settled it. For me to live is Christ. So I ask you in closing, for you to live is what? How you answer that question will not only impact the level of your joy and your peace, but it'll also determine your saltiness. Just take a moment right now and talk to God about whatever he's been talking to you about. And then I'll close in prayer in a moment. In this quiet time, I'm just going to ask those who are baptized, if you'd make your way up here right on stage, just so we can include you in the closing prayer. Please do. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for making it possible for us to be part of your eternal kingdom through the precious life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for your life, your example, for living out the Beatitudes. What a precious example you are to us. Lord, I thank you for each of these people who are baptized, for their obedience, for bringing them to yourself in your time and your way. And thank you, Lord, for those that you used in their lives and in all of our lives, Lord, to be salt and light. Where would we be, Lord, were it not for those who were faithful in this, who cared enough to reach out to us and to speak into our lives and to point us to you. 
And now, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that through this time of worship and testimony and the study of your word, that our faith in you will have been strengthened, will have grown, that our convictions will have deepened. Our resolve to live all out for you will have been strengthened. I pray that we would all stand firm, that we would let nothing move us. I pray that we would always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, whether in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our small group, in our church, in our homes. Lord, for we know on the authority of your word that our labor that is done in obedience to our Lord is not in vain. We thank you for the truth of that. And we ask that it would be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.